Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Bossed Up Podcast, episode 335. Today, I am so excited to be chatting with Christine Michelle Carter, who is the number one global voice for working moms. She and I are covering three main conversation pieces today. The first is on the status of black moms in America. The second is what companies can do better when it comes to hiring, retaining, and advancing working moms. And finally, we're going to talk about what our whole nation can be doing better when it comes to providing the kinds of social safety nets that working moms need most. This is the continuation of our May 2021 Motherhood and Career Series. I hope if you are a working mom right now, you're finding a lot of solace in knowing that you are not alone in the challenge challenges you're facing. And if you're not a working mom, but might be thinking about taking the plunge or making the transition, this is a series you'll want to hold on to uh, as you weigh the benefits and, and challenges that might come your way if you so choose to pursue motherhood as a part of your journey. <laughs> And as someone who's five months pregnant uh, herself right now, I'm particularly loving this series because I get to pick the brains of so many brilliant women who've been where I'm headed already. And just hearing straight from their advice is personally quite wonderful for me. So thanks for tuning in and listening along. So as I mentioned, Christine Michelle Carter, uh, she's a global voice for working moms, but she's also a best-selling author of two books and a writer who's reached parents and working families in more than 150 countries. She's a mother herself to two, Maya and Wes, the two cutest damn kids on the planet, if she does say so herself. She has been featured in the New York Times, the Washington Post. She contributes to Forbes Women as a senior contributor. And she has her own best-selling children's book, Can Mommy Go to Work?, which was ranked as an empowering book and a, quote, life-changing book to guide feminist parenting. As well as another book, her book Mom AF is a sister circle in a book inspired by both Carter's life and many of her published articles. Christine has also done lots of work to advance policies on a range of health and social issues that affect women and families. She's worked with organizations on eliminating racial disparities and maternal health outcomes, addressing the social determinants of health and all kinds of other women's policy issues, working with the Congressional Caucus on Black Women and Girls, the FamTech Founders Collaborative, and the U.S. Department of Labor and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce on all kinds of maternal and childcare-related issues. Christine is also the founder of Mompreneur and Me, the nation's first free Mommy and Me professional development event, and she's co-hosted the conference The State of Black Mothers in America, which became the largest global conference for black mothers to date. 
Her mission is to help black mothers around the world stop suffering in silence. And I am so delighted to be speaking with her here today. Christine Michelle Carter, welcome to the Boss Up Podcast. Thank you for having me, Emily. I'm excited to be here. So first, tell us a little bit about how you got into this work and, and where you really became uh, such a passionate advocate and voice for working moms and millennial moms and black moms in particular. Sure. So I happen to be all three. So there's an inherent <laughs> passion there that has developed for over the past nine years. Uh, but seriously, my background is in consumer marketing. So for the past 15 years, I've been helping brands with reaching. And when I started, I always say this generation Y consumers mm. now called millennial. That's how long I've been doing this. And as they entered the critical life stage of becoming mothers, and I did as well, it just resonated with me, um, all of the challenges that they faced. Um, matrescence became very important to me, and it definitely helped to shape me as a leader and not just as a mother. So I just became passionate about the holistic experience mm. of millennial women, especially Black ones, because our generation at that time was the most multicultural and diverse to date. Um, I'm passionate about their mental health, women overall who are mothers, um, some of the challenges that they face in the workplace. And I have just spent the, the past um, nine years doing everything I could to, uh, to bridge the gap, the housework gap and help those women and be an advocate for those women. Mm, that's great. And that sounds like the age of your first child, right? So that's right. is that, so you've got a nine-year-old and a six-year-old at home. And so you are walking the walk as you talk the talk. Yeah. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> there, no one knows better that work-life balance doesn't exist mm. with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel that, you know, I just was thinking a lot about the last 14 months of this global pandemic and how it's particularly impacted mothers very hard and women of color very hard. I did a LinkedIn learning uh, course with LinkedIn learning all about how moms can re-enter the workforce after 2020 because just so many of us, so many millions of women and working moms in particular have found themselves exiting the workforce. Right. What do you feel like this pandemic's impact has been on moms? It's been disastrous. So it set us back to when I was, um, I like to say, when I was two years old. Mm. So I was born in 1986. And in 1988, um, that's where we are right now. So it's mm -hmm. been reported that the female labor force has hit um, those levels 33 years ago, which is, I mean, me being a grown woman and thinking about things being as equal for us as when I was two, mm. that's, that's devastating. And it's disheartening. And it's definitely difficult, I'm sure, for a lot of women, especially those who were forced out of the labor force to not internalize. Just we as mothers tend to internalize so much. So mm. I'm very concerned about the mental health of those women, not just their employment or their unemployment. Mm. With um, with white women, it is um, improving. I think their unemployment rate as of April was at about 4.5%. But for black women, it is still at 8%, which wow. is just, yeah, it's disheartening. 
Um, the silver lining with the pandemic, though, is if you look at history, and I always do because history repeats itself, when we had the recession, the Great Recession, back in 2007, 2008, there were a number of female entrepreneurs and small businesses who really helped to stabilize and grow our economy. So that is the only silver lining, is that there's going to be a rise of what I call mompreneurs. And mm. I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to see women step into their own and create their own path, um, even if it is creating their own path through a side hustle and maybe finding just a full-time job to, to support their efforts. But yeah. I think that we're going to see a lot of mompreneurs. That's so interesting. You know, I think part of, as much as I want to celebrate that and, and see the silver lining, I also think so many women are attracted to becoming their own boss because we've made it so damn difficult to just be a working professional and be a mom. That's right. Right. That's right. And yeah, we have to be, same. yeah, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, we have to be careful because sometimes that creates opportunity for more predatory, uh, dare I say pyramid schemes and or multi-level marketing <laughs> schemes. <sighs> To yes. say to those moms, you know what? It is hard to work and be a mother. You probably do want to be your own boss. So why don't you pay me to show you the way? Right. And then that can become a really predatory market. So I'm all about supporting small business owners, supporting women entrepreneurs, mompreneurs. But it shouldn't be so difficult to just be a working mom, right, in this it nation. absolutely shouldn't. No, it shouldn't. And that, and it's a similar related statistic to black um entrepreneurship, right? Yeah. So it's like, why is, why are we the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs? Because it is so hard for us in traditional yeah. spaces. It's that exact point. It's, it's funny that you mentioned, um, the multi-level marketing because I literally put a, a tweet up yesterday that said the only way one of these many boss babe coaches could turn my business <laughs> into six figures is if I got a dollar for every time I saw an ad from them to turn yes. my business into six figures. <laughs> I was going to say the easiest business to run is the business that promises to help you create your business online. That's, That's right. the online business that creates business. So it becomes a pretty meta, meta mind trip uh, pretty quickly. So I'm glad to see I'm not the only one on that soapbox. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Speaking of Black moms in particular, last June, it looks like you were part of hosting uh, the largest ever convening of the state of Black moms in America, really talking about and, and hosting a forum devoted to unpacking the multifaceted elements that impact black mothers in particular, not the least of which is our imbalanced maternal mortality rate in this great country of ours, right? Tell us a little Absolutely. bit about that event and what are the most fascinating or shocking or compelling uh, bits of research that came out of that convention. What I think was most interesting is that we had an inkling and a hypothesis that Black women were suffering emotionally and at home. They were the ones who were running multi-generational households like Black women do. They were the ones um, spending more time doing caregiving um, than, than white moms. And it ended up being um, just through data that I found um, after 
the event to prove that out, that that was the case. Mm. So for example, um, I did a piece for Forbes and it definitely said compared to white moms, black moms spend an extra 12 hours per week on childcare. And um, when you put that in, and since the start of the pandemic, so put that into perspective, that's wild. And um, they are statistically more likely along with um, Latina moms to have multi-generational households. So they're the ones who are very concerned about COVID because they are right. from a health perspective more susceptible, but they're also more susceptible to sharing it within their families, which is huge. So these women, when they came to the conference and we were so lucky that so many did, they were, you know, just down and out and just mm. looking for hope and encouragement, but also looking to know that they weren't alone. So mm. we really focused the programming around that. Thank goodness Debbie Brown came and gave a little bit of a, a mental healing and meditation cleanse. But things things have improved, obviously, as the state of the country improves. But mm. um, Lean In just released their report showing that about one in three black women in the office have their managers check on them, which is, you know, checking their actual well-being. And mm. that's only 33%. That's unheard. That is absolutely ridiculous. Right. There's so many layers to that intersection of sexism and racism that just shows up yeah. in, you know, affordable childcare statistics, in access uh, you know, equal access to quality childcare providers, affordable childcare providers. But then beyond that, what's happening in our workplaces, what's happening in our delivery rooms. It's just, it's a little uh, overwhelming as a pregnant person is. to realize, you know, God, it's, it's like, we really have to be our own best advocates here. I yep. was, I remember distinctly reading about Serena Williams, uh, yeah. and her birth experience and <laughs> just how doctors right. were not listening to her pain, to her concerns, uh, almost, you know, to tragic consequences. And I'm thinking if Serena Williams, you know, can't beat racism in a way, you know what I mean? And how it shows up in our healthcare system, having surpassed so many other barriers, um, then who can, you know? So it's just, it is overwhelming and a little scary. What would you say to black moms to be? or black moms who are new moms, like who are afraid about how injustice is unequally uh, sent their way. I do encourage them to be an advocate for themselves because sadly, not even wealth stops racism Mm -hmm. to your point about Serena Williams. And when they feel like they can't be an advocate for themselves, that's why doulas are increasing within the black community. Mm. And that's just their formal name now. But um, generations ago, there was always some type of black mom in the room when other black moms delivered, um, just because they had been there from a, uh, they had lived through the experience, knew somewhat what to expect. And now we formalize that concept, thank goodness. And there are a number of black doulas across the country. It's something that I certainly wish that I had because I had a very similar experience to Serena both times. With my nine-year-old, I had preeclampsia and thank God the doctor was an advocate for me, Um, but not many women have that. And then the second time I did have a neurologist in the room who told me because my blood pressure shot up after my son, um, was removed from my body that a woman of my age shouldn't be having children. And I was 29. Good God. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. Honestly. 
So that's Honestly. why you need to have an advocate. And yeah. I wish I would have had a doula in the room both yeah. times. Yeah. And there's, there's so much great work being done there. I started listening recently to a new podcast or a new to me podcast called Evidence-Based Birth. And uh-huh. she does a lot on covering the growth of the black doula movement. Um, yeah. I'll link to some of her episodes in today's show notes. But there yeah. really is so much more that we need to do as individuals to advocate for ourselves. But... I asked you on the show today because as much as I love to give folks tools and tactics to be their own best advocate, this is a systemic problem that is in need of systemic solutions. So I'd love to talk about what we nationally can do better for working parents, specifically for working moms and working moms of color. But also, why don't we start with what companies can do better? Hiring, retaining, advancing working moms. What are you seeing the best companies out there doing differently? I'm seeing the best companies leveraging returnships. So with this mass exodus of women in the workforce, there are a number of companies who are recognizing that, but also recognize that statistically speaking, these women are more productive. They are natural leaders because of matrescence and having gone through the motherhood experience, especially their first year, which is what I'm referring to with matrescence. So they're bringing returnships back, which is when these mothers return, they're being taught soft skills and core competencies that will help them as they move throughout the organization. I've also, I mean, that's just a formal way of having a sponsor, right? So um, that's another thing that I've seen um, uh, be successful within organizations when it comes to working moms and having sponsors who don't necessarily look like you, right? Because certainly you will gain um, empathy by having a working mom as your sponsor, working mom executive. But there's a little bit of development of your perspective that you get when you have a black man as your sponsor or or a white man as your sponsor, somebody who is completely different from you. You get another perspective and then they're also changing their perspective about working moms. I'm so glad to hear you say that because I've been on that war path around mentorship myself for a while because I always tell my clients, listen, if it's just women counseling other women, we're all going to expect right. less, you know, right. or if it's just we're all black be educated women, women and yeah. that's it. <laughs> totally. It's like, go get a white dude sponsor. Right. <laughs> Let's go, right. you know, and one of my clients, I remember gave me some grief about this in our level up leadership accelerator. She said, really? Because they're not going to understand me. I'm not going to connect with them. It's not going to be as easy a relationship to form. And I said, yes, yes. And yes, all of that is true. And if we can forge a connection Despite those challenges, imagine how powerful we can be by learning from each other in our diverse experiences, right? So right. It, was, it doesn't sound very easy to do, but it's so beneficial to our careers to diversify our little personal board of advisors. The thing about it is that, no, it's not easy to do. And in your example of chatting with the woman, there's an underlying responsibility for us to be our own advocates and to speak up. And that Mm. is just something that I see in so many different aspects from imposter syndrome to summit syndrome to just anxiety in the workplace. That is something we are just so not comfortable with and we have to get comfortable with it. Um, It's, I saw a quote by Mindy Kaling about her confidence and how there has to be a little bit of bravery to be a woman nowadays and step up to men because they expect you to not be confident. And she was constantly asked why she was so confident. The same (laughs) is true. The same is true of women in the workplace. I mean, there has to be some type of 
onus on us and responsibility on us to to exude confidence and to be assertive and to be authentic to ourselves. Uh, I often see working moms who try to come back to the office and be one of the men in the office and try and not put enough emphasis on their personal lives outside of Mm -hmm. the office. And it always ends up in burnout because they're Mm -hmm. just pushing their authentic self to the side. Um, But I I digress and ramble. (laughs) Well, no, I think it's an interesting conversation because that mask that so many women feel the need to wear, especially black women in a white dominant world, right? Like in a white supremacy filled world, I think it's exhausting and we, we forget the exhaustion that comes with trying to mask who you are and sort of temper and and code switch, not to mention the microaggressions that we face Uh as moms, as women, as women of color. Right. So like what I see a lot in my line of work is the 22 year old version of yourself is much more confident than the 32 or 42 year old. (laughs) Actually. Yes. Scratch that. I think maybe something else cool happens in your 40s where people find their find their confidence. <laughs> That's again. true. But, That's but like, true. I get a lot of women who were like, I was once very confident, but this this toxic environment I'm in has chipped away at my confidence and I need help right. regaining it. Right. And Which then is, when we hit 42, yeah. we're just like, you know, IDGAF. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I can't wait. I hope so. I hope so. I know, right? So Companies, you know, like we're at Bossed Up, we have a couple programs like Level Up and Speak Up, which help women regain that confidence, find their voice, despite the like the chipping away at our confidence that tends to happen. So what can companies do to build women up instead of slowly chipping away at us, especially for working moms? It's a vicious cycle. Um, so the thing about it is I always say companies can offer a holistic suite of benefits that not only recognizes when you have actually given birth or adopted, but also your planning process through that. As you consider becoming a parent, Mm. even thereafter, when it comes to childcare and flexible work arrangements and offering emergency backup care, there are many different options when I talk about a suite of holistic benefits. The challenge though, is that it is a cycle. So if a company is offering that, it is on the mothers to bring their authentic selves to work and communicate and speak up that they are using and needing and leveraging those benefits. Because if they don't, the companies will take them away and then the mothers will suffer. And then the companies will assume that they will believe the stereotype that, oh, mothers can't handle um, accelerated roles within the, Mm. the workplace that can't handle leadership roles. It's a vicious cycle. It's a chicken or the egg. We have to step up and advocate for ourselves and be confident. So at the same time, the employers will recognize the power of working moms and offer us this holistic suite of benefits. That's so interesting. Yeah. So it is a pretty symbiotic relationship. Like there's a little bit of risk involved on both sides. The company's putting up some money to say, here are the benefits we're going to offer. And then women have to be willing to risk, you know, going for it, potentially not being able to commit themselves in the same way that they had prior to being a mom. Right. But they have to step outside of their comfort zone as well. Yeah. That's so interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I find that really an important reminder that it's both parties coming to the table. 
um, and taking a little bit of risk on each other. What do you think our social safety net needs to look like when it comes to this nation, right? Because there's something about the business economics of investing in working moms. Obviously, retention is important, and it's a cost-saving measure. You don't want to lose your top talent when everybody has a baby as a business. But from just a basic human rights standpoint, our country is so behind, is it not? Yes. Yes, paid sick leave policies are still varying from state to state. We, as a country, need a universal paid sick leave policy. Yes. Point blank period. You know, point (laughs) blank period. Um, It was so sad at the start of the pandemic, the most positions that were lost by women were public health positions. So our teachers, our police officers, our nurses. Those are the places that we need empathy the most, and we're going to lose out on women's inherent empathy with those roles being gone um, from women. Totally. So when you talk about the idea of that, I mean, that's going to have implications for generations, you know, Um, this whole paid sick leave idea and not having a universal policy, uh, as you said, is a, is a social, that's going to have a social impact and it continues mm-hmm. to have a social impact, right? Because we haven't had it ever. Right. Yeah. I remember, <laughs> this is such a pipe dream now, but I remember back in 2016 when I was having meetings in Washington, D.C. about where Bossed Up could be the most helpful to the incoming Clinton <laughs> administration oh, that wow. we thought would be working on paid family leave and affordable child care reform across the federal government. I was like, you know, I remember having a chat with author Bridget Schulte, who's at New America and who um, wrote a book called Overwhelmed, Work, Love, and Play When No One Has the Time. And she and I were chatting about, okay, here's what people and lobbyists and organizations and think tanks are working on to get ready to help implement federal paid family leave programs. And then, of course, none of that, none of that came into fruition. Sadly. Sadly. And here we are years later. I'm expecting my first child. And I was like, dang, if we just played our politics a little better, we would be in a totally different situation. You know what I mean? We would just be like it has real world consequences on real people's lives is, is something we all need to remember. Yes, absolutely. And the Healthy Families Act that the president passed does help workers with accruing seven days of paid sick leave per year for preventative care. Mm. But I still want paid sick leave universal. (laughs) It's not too much to ask. We are a global outlier. We are the only, the one and only. Uh, Exactly. Yeah. So the only, the only major, right. The only major society. Yeah. And so it's interesting. Let's talk about the Harris and Biden administration. Back in December, they did, in the stimulus package, pass $10 billion uh, for the child care industry in particular to help stimulate the child care industry. And then also instituted and really helped create a new maternal mental health hotline. So we're starting to see, like, on the margins – some improvements, but yet to see structural reshaping. Is that right? I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. And those those initiatives are nothing to laugh at. Um, you look at the work that the Chamber of Commerce did, um, looking at four different states and how child care was an economic development opportunity for those states. Because mm. to your point, yeah, because to your point, they were losing 
women in droves because their states were childcare deserts and they didn't have um, the employers didn't weren't offering childcare. Right. So the the states got together. The the state um, governments got together with the corporations in those states and worked out ways to um, to stem the decline of women leaving the workforce in those states. And this was pre-COVID. Wow. Um, but one of the biggest states to do it was Iowa. And Iowa really showed the impact hmm. of child care within their state and how it is not only on the the mothers to advocate for themselves, not only on right. the businesses to offer policies, but also on needs to be handled at a government level. Too. Oh, my gosh. Totally. Yeah. I- I was just taking a walk with three of my friends who are also expecting right now yesterday. Oh my gosh. And you can see this. I know. It's sort of a baby boom here in my in my it little in bubble. the water in Denver. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I don't and... want to drink it. <laughs> <laughs> You've already had your fair share, right? Right. Like you're good. Right. Um, exactly. We were walking we were walking yesterday and you can hear that how that might impact working moms because um, a friend of mine just, just bought a house is just moving. So she just for the first time figured out where she's going to actually be for the first year uh-huh. of her child's life. Uh, and she really wants to go back to work ASAP. She's very committed to her job and very ambitious and very excited to be living now closer to Boulder where she works. Um, but my friend said, you know, that in Boulder, the average wait time to get into daycare is over a year, right? And she was like, what? (laughs) I didn't even know I was expecting, you know, like, or expecting to be expecting a year ago. How am I supposed to do that? So, you know, you're right in saying that it's not just on the companies offering flexibility or the women themselves advocating for what they need. It's literally a supply chain problem when it comes to having affordable quality childcare options available to you. And a friend of mine said, yeah. And another friend of hers has an, is on her third nanny in six months. Um, and it's like a retention issue. You know what I mean? So it's just, it is such a logistical gap, um, that makes it so hard. And then of course, why is it moms that are the ones defaulting instead of dads? They're equally involved in, in most cases here. Right. So it's just, it is a cluster right. and it's a it's a business problem and it's a social problem and it ends up being women's problem. Yes, it does end up being women's problem because of the motherhood penalty, which is something that fathers just don't have to deal with. Or um, even in same sex couples, there's always one one person who's the the who takes on the motherhood penalty. Mm. But for some reason, it's it's rare that it is. Um, where responsibilities and obligations or indecisions are split up and usually falls on one person and all too often it's the mom. Yeah. Yep. And then it makes you question, is it really an empowered choice if we're all making the same choice? Oh God, no. I don't feel empowered by choosing childcare. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I would rather not. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. So what gives you hope about the future? What makes you at this vantage point, with vaccine rollouts increasing, yeah. with this pandemic chapter hopefully starting to close, yeah. what what gives you a sense of optimism looking forward? The fact that I believe 62% of parents said they would quit their job if they can't continue remote work. Mm. And that statistic has been shared everywhere. It is, it is attention catching. Mm. And I, 
that makes me excited because pre-COVID remote work was only for the select and the few and it was hush hush behind closed doors and in closets. We'll talk about if you can have remote work or not, but this is becoming a universal mandate. Yes. Um, and that is what is exciting me. I've seen more job um, portals listing remote as an opportunity. There's been a rise in positions, obviously, with everyone um, starting to get vaccinated and really rethinking about their career. Um, remote work is something that we're all interested in keeping, and that is exciting to me because I believe that that will help us a lot with that balance that we're looking for as a society. Totally. Well said. I'm, I'm, I think that gives a reason for all of us to support working parents and working moms, because whatever's good for working moms is probably pretty great for the rest of us too, right? right. You know, a rising tide lifts all boats is what comes to mind. I love that. Well, Christine, I have so enjoyed our conversation today. Where can our listeners catch up and keep up with you and all of your great work? Oh, thank you so much. My website is christinemichellecarter.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-L. All my social links are there, but you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at C. Michelle Carter and on Facebook and LinkedIn at Christine Michelle Carter. Awesome. We'll drop links to all of those resources and lots of things that you mentioned today. I've been taking copious notes over here. I can't (laughs) wait to dig into some of this stuff and want to thank you again for sharing your time and, and talents with our listeners. Emily, thank you for the opportunity. It was so fun. Find links to all of today's relevant resources, articles, and data that Christine and I have been talking about at bostip.org slash episode 335. It's also a great place just to share uh, this podcast with the women in your world who you know could use it. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week. This week, I want to give a special shout out to Allison from California, who I had the pleasure of working with in our Level Up Leadership Accelerator. Throughout the course of our skill building program, she was also preparing to ask for a raise and promotion, which we worked on together in the one-on-one executive coaching that comes with Level Up. Now, all of this is on the backdrop of her being just weeks away from taking maternity leave and bringing her first child into this world. So since Allison was planning on being actually out of the office on mat leave when her annual review came along, She and I worked really diligently, but frankly, also quite quickly, to equip her manager to be the one to advocate on her behalf while she was away. So she did her annual self-evaluation early. She got the conversation rolling with her manager well in advance of the actual review period, and she made her case for a raise in promotion to her manager, but then also wrote out some talking points, a memo essentially to hand to her manager after that conversation so that he had the argument that he needed to basically argue for her advancement in her place while she was out. So I got an email from her just the other day that within a week from returning to the office after her maternity leave, she landed the promotion and a huge pay raise that she had been advocating for. So Allison, congrats to you. I'm so, so proud of you. And 
And I want to thank you for sharing your story with the Bossed Up community because truly you never know who you're inspiring when you share your come up story. And now, boss, I want to hear from you. I have to say, we haven't been getting a lot of voicemails in the last year. We've been kind of playing it fast and loose and just reading a lot of emails, reading a lot of messages in the Courage community. But moving forward, in anticipation of my own maternity leave, I should add, We really want to hear what episodes you want to hear from us. So here at Bossed Up, we've been talking a lot about the production of the podcast moving forward and how we're going to adapt uh, and really just produce the kinds of episodes that are in demand by our listeners. And we need to know what you want to hear to do that. So call in your career conundrums, and we're going to make episodes around them. Whatever your question is, big or small, I guarantee you, you're not the only one who's navigating that kind of a challenge at work. Or if it's a personal or work-life balance challenge, those are fair game too. I really want to encourage you to give me a call on my voicemail. Don't worry, no one will ever answer this line. It's very much just a voicemail hotline that we've set up uh, where you can leave a voicemail asking a career conundrum or sharing your career conundrum for tackling on an upcoming episode. And of course, we'd love to hear you brag on your bad self too. Lots of y'all have been just sharing your boss moves in the Courage community on Facebook, which is great, or via email, which is always appreciated. But there is something extra powerful about saying in your own voice that you are proud of yourself. And that's really something we want to bring back as we move forward in the podcast journey that is bossed up. And honestly, can y'all believe we are at episode three? 135? What the hell? How have we made so many shows? I don't even know. So if we're if we're going to keep this show going, I want to make sure it speaks to what you want to hear. Uh, so I'm really asking you earnestly, honestly, genuinely to give me a call, to leave me a voicemail, to send in your request, because we don't want to just keep creating to keep hearing my voice. I want to keep creating the kinds of shows that you want to hear. So that number is 910-668-BOSS or 2677. It's in the bottom of every single one of our show notes. 910-668-BOSS or 2677. If you are not in the U.S. and you're having trouble dialing that, you can always record a little voice memo on your phone and just send it in via email at info at bossedup.org. And I want to just <laughs> tell you that I would say about 95% of the voicemails we get are recorded twice. The first voicemail goes like this. Hey, Emily. Oh my gosh. I'm so nervous. I don't know. I'm babbling. And then they, they kind of get to the end of, I think there's like a two minute cutoff and then they call back and say, okay, let me try that again. So if that's you, please don't worry about it being perfect and know that with the magic of editing, we can, you know, we can help you sound perfectly eloquent all the time. You can write it out before you call it in. But I really want to hear from y'all because vocal diversity on the show is only made possible by your voicemails. So I've said my piece. I hope to hear from you soon at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. Thank you for listening, for rating and reviewing in iTunes and Apple Podcasts and Spotify and everywhere else you listen. And thank you for sharing this podcast because you sharing the shows that make a difference in your life is what helps us keep going and keep growing. Until next time, boss, let's keep bossing in pursuit of our purpose. And together, let's lift as we climb.